So, have you ever wondered what Jesus looks like? I, I, I saw this article uh, earlier this spring. There was a picture of Jesus that was uh, one of two ways that people typically answer this question. There's there's two ways you can answer the question. One of them is is the forensic way. And so the, the, this article was about um, some people who had tried to answer that question the forensic way, the way that uh, you would go to the police department or something and say, I've got a missing person, um, and they would try to figure out what he would look like. So this team had had uh, studied uh, skeletal remains from the first century in Galilee. They tried to get an idea of what the average height and weight, things like that were, what, what the, the bone structure and so forth were, and then they tried to recreate a picture of what Jesus might have looked like. And so this is what they came up with. Um, it's a picture of, of kind of a person with Semitic features, uh, who looks like he might uh, live in the Holy Land today? Um, uh, they they said in the the article that he would have been about five foot one. That was an average height for people in those days, um, and probably weighed about 110 pounds. So if you've ever wondered, that's that's the way that a forensic science answers the question: what Jesus looks like. Now there's another answer that is probably more familiar with us, and it's the artistic answer. And the artistic answer is where artists say he probably looked a lot like me. Okay, and this is what we see. Uh, this is the the Last Supper, Leonardo's painting, and what we see there is a Jesus who looks very much like an Italian. So uh, there he is, uh, Jesus. He's got the long hair, but it's kind of a, a brownish color, and he's got kind of Italian-looking European features uh, because that's that's the way that Leonardo thought Jesus might look. He might look a lot like himself. Now, uh, other artists who have looked at the problem elsewhere have answered the question differently. Here's a painting from Cameroon, and this is a picture of the Last Supper as envisioned by an artist from Cameroon. Jesus is the one in the red there, so we're going to get a look at what he looks like. This is what that artist looked like. They said, Jesus probably looked a lot like me. And uh, so that's what they they painted Jesus to look like. Now, uh, I, I was thinking about that. You know, there's not there's places in the world besides Europe and Cameroon. So um, I found some art for a different scene. The scene in Luke chapter 7 where a woman comes in and washes Jesus' feet um, at the home of Simon the Pharisee. So this is another painting uh, um, from Europe. And you see very European kind of looking Jesus there. Um, and uh, and so that there's nothing kind of surprising to those of us who are reared on North American culture, we kind of look at that and say, well, of course, that's what Jesus looked like. But in Cameroon, this is what they thought it might have looked like. So you see the woman there still washing Jesus' feet, but obviously Jesus looks a little different in that picture, as does Simon the Pharisee. So another picture, this is from India. This is what somebody in India thought that that scene might have looked like. And then lastly, this is a picture from Korea. So the picture there is what they thought um, it might have looked like. I like Jesus' hat there. So... Um, the question, what does Jesus look like? There's two ways you can answer it. One of them is you can say, well, science tells us the answer. We're going to go dig up some some uh, remains. We're going to go do some archaeological research. We're going to figure this out. We're going to attack this problem with the best wisdom we have to try and sort out the, the answer. And we'll figure out what Jesus looked like. That's one answer. And it's a good answer. But the other answer is maybe even better. The other answer is to say Jesus looks like us. There's a, I don't know how many of you have read this this book, the um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's a children's book by C.S. Lewis. It's part of a series of books called the Chronicle of Narnia, and it's kind of an allegory of of uh, the gospel. So the lion is kind of a placeholder. He kind of stands for Jesus, and the witch is kind of sort of the devil. Um, 
And the wardrobe is how you get to the land where all that happens. So um, in this book, there's a, there's a great battle that's going to happen between the lion, who is kind of Jesus, and the witch, who is kind of the devil. And the lion is getting all the other, all the good, all the good uh, people in Narnia to, to be part of his army. And he says this, he says, uh, those who can't keep up, children, dwarfs, small animals, must ride in the backs of those who can. That is, lions, centaurs, unicorns, horses, giants, and eagles. Those who are good with their noses must come in the front with us lions to smell out where the battle is. Look lively and sort yourselves out. So that's the instruction that the lion, Aslan, the, the Jesus figure in this book, gives to the, the animals. And they did with a great deal of bustle and cheering. The most pleased of the lot was the other lion, who kept running about everywhere, pretending to be very busy, but really in order to say to everyone he met, did you hear what he said? Us lions. That means him and me, us lions. That meant him and me. And I think if we picture Jesus and we don't include in it the possibility that he might say us about you, then you're kind of missing the point of the incarnation. That you should include in your picture of Jesus, whatever it is, you should include room for Jesus to say us about you. So that's kind of the the backdrop. And maybe maybe that's what we might talk about at Christmas time when we talk about the incarnation, because this is this is the, the big question. What was Jesus like? But it's also the question we're going to look at today as we talk about the ascension. Because, see, the good news is whatever Jesus looked like then, whether you have the forensic picture in your mind or whether you have the artistic picture in your mind, whatever it is, however you answer that question, Jesus still looks like that. I mean, probably. I mean, it's been 2,000 years he might have changed his hair or, you know, updated his wardrobe. I don't know about that sort of thing. But Jesus is essentially the same today as he was 2,000 years ago when he ascended to heaven. And I don't know about you, but for me, when, when I first understood that concept, it, it just stopped me in my tracks. I was in my first theology class in seminary, and somehow I had gotten all the way to seminary and never picked up on that. I had just kind of missed it. I had just kind of always assumed that when Jesus went back to heaven, he went back to whatever he used to be. That he kind of took off the humanity and said, well, that's done, and went back to heaven. And I had missed this. Now, now, to be honest, I don't know how I missed it, because it's all through the Bible. It's all through the church councils. It's the it's what the apostolic fathers wrote. It's what the the doctors of the church have always said. It's what the the councils of churches have said it's what is in our confessions it's what the reformers said everybody who's ever studied the bible agrees that that the bible and subsequent theology states very clearly that jesus is now what he has always been which is one of us that when the word put on flesh and dwelt among us it kept the flesh even when it no longer dwelt among us or dwelt among us in the same way. That was a revolutionary idea for me. Somehow I had gotten all the way to seminary without ever hearing it. But it is important for us to understand that because it gives us context for Pentecost, which we're going to celebrate in two weeks. Now, today we're celebrating the ascension, the the occasion on which Jesus ascended into heaven. We heard the passage earlier, The the uh, Jesus was taken up into heaven 
and until a cloud a cloud obscured him from their sight, his disciples watched him go. And when they're still staring up into the sky, two angels show up next to them and they say, why are you staring in the sky? This Jesus will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That is the date of the ascension, or that is the occasion of the ascension. Luke tells us it happened 40 days after Easter, um, and that's Thursday. And it used to be you could always count on people taking a day off from work and coming to church, and that's happening less and less. So, so the church is moving our special occasions in the church to to weekends. So, so we're going to celebrate uh, the ascension today. Uh, some churches celebrate it the day after or the the Sunday after the Thursday. Some the the Sunday before. I'm I'm in the before crowd. I have trouble looking back next Sunday and saying, oh, that's what I should have been thinking about on Thursday. I just, I, I have enough trouble looking forward. It's almost impossible for me to look backwards. So we're going to celebrate this, the ascension today. We are celebrating the ascension today because it gives us important information that helps us make sense of what happened at Pentecost. Now, some of you know, two weeks from now, we're going to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is is a church occasion that we still do celebrate. We we have special colors. Instead of white, we'll have red. Um, we'll have we'll have special things to indicate that today is Pentecost. And for some reason, we do that often without stopping to think about the ascension. But it is the ascension that maybe is even more important because Jesus says, if he did not return to the Father, he could not send the Spirit. So. Pentecost is important, but maybe the ascension is even more important. And the reason is this. Like I was talking to the children, what did Jesus do? If you were to kind of summarize what it was that Jesus did, what I would, the way I would answer that question, I would say Jesus reconnected us to God. That because of our sinfulness, because of our rebellion, uh, something in us was broken. And it kept us from having a relationship with God. And God did not sit up in heaven and say, well, maybe someday they can figure it all out and get back up to me. Instead, God sent Jesus to reconnect us, like one of these cables. If it falls loose from your computer or something, uh, God did not say, well, maybe they'll figure it out. God sent us a new cable, Jesus, who is that conduit, the, the connector between us and God. Now, the problem with that, you know, when I think about tubes and uh, hoses and, and, and cables like I talked to the children about, the problem with that is I tend to think about the middle part but to really understand the ascension, we have to look at the ends. Because, because the ends tell us what happened at Pentecost and what happened at the ascension. So back up a little bit. Could you go back to the bridge? So Jesus uses this analogy in one of his, one of his talks. He says to, he says to, uh, Nathaniel, he says, um, you will see the Son of Man like a ladder between heaven and earth. And the angels going up and down. He's talking about this new life that flows from God. When, when that connection is restored, there would be new life that comes from God. He says, you will see that, Nathaniel. But the problem with that image, the problem with the image of, of a ladder going up to heaven is that our conception of heaven is different today. Back in, back in uh, Bible times, people envisioned the world by, by imagining kind of a big flat plane. That's earth. And then there's a dome over it, which is the dome of the sky. And then heaven is whatever's on the far side of the sky, right? It's it's inaccessible to us, but it's on the far side of the sky. And the problem is we've seen pictures from outer space. If we picture a ladder that goes up to heaven, we don't know where to put the end, right? Because how far do you, do you take the ladder? We don't know where to put the end. 
So what, what kind of modern theologians, modern people who try to picture this have just kind of flipped it on its side and said, well, I, I can't get my head wrapped around space ladders and things like that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to flop it on its side and I'm going to say heaven is on one end and earth is on the other. That there is a chasm of some kind. There's, there's some kind of a gap that cannot be bridged by us and we need Jesus to bridge it for us. So there's this image of a bridge between heaven and earth and Jesus is that bridge. So what are the, what are the endpoints? What are the anchors? You know, the middle part is Jesus. What are the anchors? Well, the answer is, on earth, the anchor is Jesus' humanity. That the anchor at one end of the bridge is Jesus fully human. And the anchor at the other end, back up please, the anchor at the other end of the bridge is Jesus' divinity, Jesus' full divinity. That Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is anchored in heaven by that reality that Jesus is spirit, fully spirit, the spirit of God in heaven, anchoring the other end of the bridge. And what the ascension tells us is that Jesus's anchors are intact. Jesus did not let go of one end of the anchor, that basically Jesus is still anchored with us. So what I want to do is I want to look very quickly at two two passages of scripture. We're going to zoom through these. So um, in John, we hear Jesus, uh, Jesus has just spent Four chapters, which I did not include in the program. Four chapters explaining what it means that he's going back to heaven. He said, I'm going and you can't come with me. And Peter says, well, where are you going? And Jesus says, don't worry about that. But I want you to know one thing. I'm not leaving you as orphans. He says, I'm going to send an advocate, a comforter, a counselor, a paraclete. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And he says, not only that, I will still be with you because of that, because of the Holy Spirit. I will be with you, and as you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Just like grapes growing on a grapevine, that as we are connected to Jesus, we will receive that life he's talking about, the eternal life, the the life of the kingdom. We will receive that and bear fruit in our own lives. So that's what Jesus has been talking about. And now he closes that discussion, that lengthy discussion in John's Gospel, by saying, I am going back to the Father. And he says, He says this, while I was with them, I protected them. I guarded them, but now I'm coming to you. Why? What Jesus has done is he's saying, I'm going to take this bridge and I'm going to swap the ends. They're still anchors. Jesus's bridge, the bridge that is Jesus is still anchored fully in his divinity, fully in his humanity, but he's swapping the location of the ends. I went looking on Google trying to find a picture of bridges. There's some bridges that do this. They rotate around the middle. But Jesus is doing that. He's saying, I'm going to put the human end in heaven, and I'm going to put the spiritual end on earth. That's Pentecost. Jesus is saying, I'm going to rotate the ends. Why? He says, because I'm going to pray for you. I'm leaving the world, and you will be under attack. You will be persecuted. And so he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but I ask you to protect them. He says, I'm going to the throne of God so I can intercede from you. So the first thing that Jesus does is he intercedes. Jesus didn't say, well, I'm done with that. I'm leaving that all behind me. That humanity was an interesting project, but I'm done with that. I'm going back to heaven. Instead, what Jesus says is, 
I'm going to the throne room where I have even closer access to God. And when I make an intercession on your behalf, God will hear it. The picture that the scripture paints is a throne room, and we don't have a lot of those, but imagine a room full of royal people, and there's the king. The only one who sits in a throne room is the king. He sits on the throne. Everybody else stands because the king is the only one who gets to sit in the throne room, except maybe, maybe once in a while there's a there's a special person who the king trusts implicitly, a special advisor. And he says, my advisor gets a chair. Put that chair right on my right hand. And Jesus says, I will have that seat. But Jesus says something else. To get this, we have to look at the passage from Ephesians. Jesus says, Jesus says, well, Paul tells us, when God, but God who is rich in mercy, uh, raised us up, it says, and made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That Jesus so closely identifies with us that we are seated in heaven. Picture, picture an imaginary scene. This is not in the Bible. This is just me. But picture a scene where, where an angel comes up to Jesus up in heaven and says, remember those humans you used to hang out with? You know, they do some crazy stuff, don't they? It starts trying to peel Jesus apart. You know the way that sometimes happens? You know, people, people kind of peel you apart from the, from the people you used to hang with. And they're trying to, trying to create a little bit of space between you and them. What Paul tells us in, in, in Ephesians is that will never happen. That there will never be an occasion. No one will ever come to Jesus and say, what about that crazy thing that, that, that he did? What about that thing she did? What, you know, no one, no matter how they might try to peel us apart from Jesus, Jesus identifies with us so thoroughly that he will always answer the question, <clears throat> Father? And then he'll say, us humans. That whenever Jesus speaks to the Father, after clearing his throat and saying, Father, the next words out of his mouth are us humans. Jesus will always see it from our perspective because he has been transported into the throne room and seated at the right hand of God. So the first thing Jesus does is he protects us. He continues to intercede on our behalf before the throne. But secondly, he can never be isolated. He can never be peeled apart from us. There's never going to be daylight between us and Jesus. The final thing he does, well, the the third thing he does is he sends the Spirit. The bridge rotates. And the Spirit, the spiritual anchor that Jesus is, affir- is affixed to, the divinity of Christ, comes to us by the power of his Spirit, and we start bearing the fruit that he talked about. We'll talk more about that at Pentecost. Today I want to close with this idea. This bridge between heaven and earth. I don't know how far that is. I don't know how big this chasm is. I know the old picture of the dome in the sky. That doesn't work anymore. But that bridge, I don't know how big that is. But scripture tells us the day will come when Jesus compresses it. There's a picture in the book of Revelation. It says that there is a new heaven and a new earth. The, The old things have passed away. Everything that is ugly or sinful is gone. And the earth and the, and the heavens have been renewed. It's like spring cleaning. And heaven comes down to earth. The, this, this gap, however long this bridge is, however, however, uh, distant must be compressed, is compressed until finally heaven and earth meet in Jesus Christ. 
and the and God makes his dwelling among men. That that this is a pledge. When Jesus is in heaven, Jesus the man is in heaven, and Jesus his spirit is here on earth. That is a pledge of what God's intention is to bring them together so that all of the divinity of God is available to us here on earth and all of our humanity is presented before God spotless in heaven. That is the picture. And Jesus' ascension is a pledge that what God has begun, he will not stop. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? We revel in it. No one will ever peel you apart from Jesus. He will always begin his sentences, us humans, the way the lion talked about us lions. Jesus will never be separated from you. The scriptures tell us that nothing we do, no, no force in heaven or earth can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So revel in that. But also picture that. You know, I think too many people have a picture of the, of God looking down from heaven, kind of shaking his finger. You naughty people, what am I going to do with you? But imagine instead a picture of Jesus up in heaven, turning to God and saying, Father, us humans, and then finishing whatever he's got to say about us. How would the world be different if the church consistently presented that picture of a God who intercedes for us, who identifies with us, and who pledges to bring heaven and earth together? Because that is the God we remember at Ascension. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that Jesus is there in the throne room with you now. He speaks on our behalf. He identifies with us and begins his sentences, us humans. We thank you, Lord, that he is a pledge of your intention to bring heaven and earth together and unite them to make your dwelling among us. We give you thanks for all these things, Lord, and we help, we, we ask you to help us communicate this beautiful picture of your plan for the world. We pray it in the name of Christ, our Savior, who is alive and rules all things with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.